Matthew 5 is where we're at because we're in a series that's called Navigate. Now let me tell you what's happening. For the next couple of months, we're doing a series discussing how to navigate life's challenging situations. How do you navigate tumultuous political seasons? How do you navigate gender identity? How do we navigate financial issues and, and spiritual abuses and, and parenting and the future? How do we navigate when the 2024 election is going to come? How do we navigate very, very intense and difficult situations? How do we do, a lot of you parents come and say, oh, Mike, my, my child asked me this question. How do I navigate that? Well, for the next couple months, we're going to be looking at navigating some very difficult situations. And today we're going to set the stage by starting in Matthew 5 to use really what you're going to see as our navigation device. If you're ready for this, say, let's do it. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus talking, says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is my desire that every single person listening to me today is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is my desire that every one of your children is going to go to heaven. It is my desire that every one of your offspring, all of your lineage, that every one of your friends is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, starting with you today. So let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five. Have a seat. And let me tell you about Ernest Shackleton. The year was 1914, and Ernest Shackleton and a group of explorers set out to go to the South Pole. They went to Antarctica, and they wanted to make their way across Antarctica, and tragedy struck while they were there. They were from England trying to cross this. They were on a ship called the Endurance, appropriately named. They became entrapped in ice, and the boat eventually sank after the hull was crashed. Marooned on nearby Elephant Island, there seemed little hope for their survival. So Shackleton, plus five other people, in a desperate attempt to save the crew, they set out on a journey on a 20-foot life raft on dangerous, storm-filled waters with waves, they said, that were up to 100 feet tall on this, this 20-foot little raft that they were on. It was an 8 hundred-mile journey to the South Georgia Island where help could be found. And so for 15 days, they went out on this trek to get back to safety, battling the treacherous seas. And, and all they had basically was a compass. They had a compass and a sextant, and they navigated with this their course until they safely reached this other island where he procured another ship, got another ship, and returned to rescue all of his men. Of course, you can imagine when they got back to England, these were national heroes as they had accomplished what seemed like an impossible task. He became this hero of courage and persistence. 
Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like you were on a 20-foot raft having to navigate 100-foot waves in treacherously cold seas. But if you haven't yet, you will one day. And if you are right now, I've got good news for you. Because when we do find ourselves in those kind of environments, in those kind of places like that, you need something that you can bank on other than simply saying, I felt it on my insides. And I want to be clear, I'm not pushing off on your intuition. And I am not pushing off on your education. What I'm going to try to make clear in this opening message of this Navigate series is that when you are in uncharted territories, and when you do find yourself in seas that, that are rocking your boat or your life or your family or your marriage or your mind or your body to the left and to the right, you need something you can bank on that is independent of you in the circumstance. You need a compass. You need a north star. You need a rock that you can, that you can count on. If it were not for that compass, they never would have made it back. I was reading an article in CNN. There was a former writer for Playboy magazine that was a female writer for Playboy magazine that was describing the life that, that she was living where she slept with anything that had a couple of legs and, and she said she was living the kind of life that was just a, a whatever, you know, just the sort of life you'd imagine a Playboy writer doing. And I'm not trying to be offensive to anybody, but she said, and this was not a Christian article and she is not a Christian, but she was making this statement. She's like, man, I was doing everything. Everything, all the voices on the outside culture around me were saying, go for it. And all the voices on the inside, if it feels good, do it. And she says, and I did this and I did this and I did this. And if you would have asked me, I would have told you, I am happy. I love this. And she said, however, the truth is I was empty and it led me to nowhere. It, there, years of what felt like this was, this was uh, fulfilling and, and, and good or whatever that would be. And she says, but, but here it was. At the end of it, it ended up empty. And, and maybe you're not a writer for Playboy, but maybe you're a parent who's wondering, what in the world do I do with my kids? And you're like, oh, I tried to, your, your kid's now 17 years old, and you're looking back and wondering, man, I, did I get this right? Or maybe you're a, a businessman that's, that's really, stro I mean, you've just been striving and striving and striving, and, and you've ascended the ladder, but you're wondering if it leads you empty, or you could be an athlete, or you could be a, a student, and you can get to this place where, you, where at, by the time you, you run to the end of the highway, there's a singer named Keith Green that once said, you can run to the end of the highway and still find that you're not, you didn't find what you're looking for. We humans have this tendency that we get lost. And we humans are a lot like that man or woman that when they're lost, they do not like to stop and ask for directions. And so instead of asking for directions, we, we get direction, we take direction, we get animated and moved by the voices around us. When Elon Musk speaks, the stock market moves to the sound of his voice. When Elon Musk says, I'm buying some crypto, a bunch of people go and buy some crypto. When, CS, when CSNBC speaks, when Fox News speaks, when CNN speaks, when, when MSNBC, when all these different um, channels speak, that there's, a, there's a movement that happens. When I, I, I'm talking to many, many young people that are giving me their theological opinions, and I said, where did you learn that? And they said, I learned it on TikTok. And I'll say, wow, you know, people are now being catechized they used, churches used to do catechisms. Now we do 60-second TikTok videos and 15-minute TED Talks and 4-minute and YouTube clips and 5-minute and hot takes on 
Fox News or CNN. Now we're being catechized in these other places. And we're being moved and animated by the voices, by the words around us. We've treated the news channels and social media platforms as compasses that they were never meant to be being moved. And it's led us to a place where we are a mess. And as we're making our way through the stormy world that we live in, there's something that I want to remind you of today, that when Adam and Eve decided not to heed God's word, when Adam and Eve said no to God's word, there was a struggle that that came in. When they heeded the wrong voice, just to be clear, the very first voice, contrary to humans, the very first voice in opposition to the kingdom of heaven was the voice of a serpent, It was the devil who said to Adam and Eve, did God indeed say? The first attack, the most historical attack, the most experienced and effective attack against humans is some version of this. Are you sure that's what God said? Now, now we don't oftentimes say it like that. These days, it's a little less did God say it. It's a little more like, hmm. I know that's what the Bible says, but how can you really know what that means? And we become functioning theological agnostics where we do not know what to... When we look at a scripture that challenges us too much, it's far easier to say, "Mm, no one really knows what that means. It's just a new version of the same lyric, which was, did God indeed say? Maybe you don't believe that there is an objective north star of truth in this universe. What I would submit to you, maybe, and I want to just say, because I know there's, we've got people from a lot of different religions that will come to church, and maybe you're watching online and you're from some other faith. And man, I just, I, I really, I can't even tell you how much it means to me that you would even, maybe you came as, with a friend today, and, and, and you're listening in, and what an honorable thing that you would like, to, the way to honor your friend, to, to be with them in what, what can, you know, like yesterday I was at a Gator game, and, and I was sitting right next to a Utah fan, and, and he's like, well, I'm just bracing myself, you know, they one, you know, a red family in the midst of orange and blue people everywhere, and, and, uh, and he's like, oh, you guys have been nice and everything, you know, but maybe it feels like that. I just want to say, man, it means a lot to us that you would even listen to what we have to say, and maybe you're someone that you've never thought about something like objective truth or absolute truth or something like that, and I get that because I'm raised in the same culture as you, and I certainly have gotten raised in a culture that has said, mm, you've got your truth, I've got my truth. What I want to submit to you is when you watch these political seasons or you're watching people go right now where there's 50 million slaves around the world, and you go to someone... And we can all right now say slavery is wrong. But when you go to many places in the East and say, why don't you stop doing that? They say, stop trying to push your values on me. You live your truth. I'll live my truth. What I want to say is maybe you don't believe in objective truth. I want to submit to you. Can you see the benefit and the beauty if there was an actual compass? Wouldn't it be great to know where you're going? If there was a North Star, and I, listen, I want to get, I, I totally acknowledge that for many of us, we're like, I don't believe there is. No, I, I understand, but I'm saying just, if there was, wouldn't it be great? Because I'm going to tell you today that what, what Jesus teaches, and, and the reason I'm bringing up Jesus is because I find that people tend to love Jesus and understandably hate institutional religion, and I get that very much. But Jesus talked about a compass. Jesus said, you may have waves, and you may have a small boat, and you may have danger, but I have not left you with a compass. 
And sometimes it may look unlikely. It may look like the opposing team is on like the five-yard line and, they're about, and they've just marched down the field and they're about to come back and win and you know there's no more time. Anyway, I... I, I <laughs> if you'll just use the confidence. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what was some really good news today. Um, according to Jesus, and again, this is according to Jesus. Here's the entire sermon today. The Bible is God's gift of navigation for anyone humble enough to acknowledge they need direction. The Bible is God's gift of navigation for anybody humble enough to acknowledge you're trying to get to Miami and you're driving north on I-75, stop and get directions. The Bible is God's navigation device for anybody that's humble enough to acknowledge they need directions. Let me try to, let me try to make this clear. First thought today, um, we, the Bible, I'm, I'm going to talk about authority for a minute because the, I'm, I'm going to be speaking with some authority, but we struggle with the Bible because we struggle with authority. This week I was at the gym and I was watching the movie Rocky, and I'm not sure if you ever saw the movie Rocky. What was Rocky's trainer's name, the old guy? What was his name? Mickey. Is it Mickey? Mickey. So Mickey takes Rocky out. He's in like Philadelphia. He's, oh man, what, what are we doing here, Mick? You know, and he's like, and, he, and he's got a chicken in his hand. He said, man, what, what, what I got, why I got to do a chicken? You know, and, and he said, he said, two reasons. Number one, because I said so. And number two, because you got to get fast. If you're going to beat the other guy, you got to get fast. And so he, he's going to take a chicken, throw him on the ground. And in the middle of Philadelphia, Rocky's going to have to go chase a chicken around and, and move around because he's got to get quick. He's, you got to be lightning. You, and, and Mickey, you know, this little, like, you know, four foot ten, you know, Italian looking dude is, is telling Rocky, number one, he, you got to do what I said because I said so. I'm in charge. So there, there's, a part, there's a part. Now, this is, I'm not going to lean on this. I am going to just let you guys know this. There is a God in the universe, and he's in charge. Gosh, I struggle with this, because this is not what I like, naturally speaking. But, but I, I just want you to understand that in all of the universe, God says, let there be light, and it happens. God speaks to deers, and they give birth. God speaks to mountains, and, they, and, and water starts. Everywhere in the universe, God speaks and it happens with the nothing but a word from God and it happens. Humans are unique because he made us in his image. God speaks to us and gives us choice. And I have spent so much of my life being like, I'm not feeling that. And God says, Mike, let there be light out of you. And I'm like, ah, but I'm feeling kind of dark today. Humans are the one part of the universe that when God, I mean, imagine being the angels that they watch everything, but we humans, God's, he, he, he speaks. And we're like, mm, not so much. See, we struggle with the Bible because we struggle with authority. I live in the United States. I live in a, and I'm just, gonna, I'm just giving you my culture. Some of you are from other countries. I'm just, I, I, I don't want to critique anyone's culture. I'm only critiquing mine, okay? In the United States, there is a virtue that nobody will tell me what to do. I mean, listen, I get the whole American Revolution. I get all these kind of, but I'm saying even at the very beginning, there, there, there's this thing of like, no, like you're not going to, no one's going to tell me, you know, you're not going to come and tell. Now, now the irony here is we're in an age right now where we like to affirm no one will tell me what to do. And then I'm going to figure out whatever I consider unjust and I'm going to go tell other people they better not do what I say is unjust. 
there is a very large amount of intellectual incoherence around this, which is, I demand no one tell me what to do, but I'm going to tell you that you, be- you should not tell me what I should do. It's, it's a very ironic moment that we're living in. In other times, now there were other times of human history, American history, human history in general, there were other ages where the meaning of life was what you might describe as virtue or goodness or being a good person. There were times in human history where the biggest thing that everyone was going for was words like, like virtue. The Greeks would use words like dikaiosune, what they get translated into our Bibles, for example, as the word righteousness. So there were times where the, the, the highest ideal was, oh, I want to be good. I want to, at my, at my funeral, I want people to say, that was a good woman. That was a good man. That's what I want. At my, there was a time when that was the case. In the, at least in the United States, from what I can tell, I'm just giving you my perception right now. From what I can see right now, the highest good, the, the highest ideal, the meaning of life has ceased being that we want goodness or virtue. Now the chief thing seems to be, I need to be true to myself. You need to define your truth. This is, this is what I'll hear people saying. Define your truth. In the past, the north was something to be discovered and you needed a compass to do it. What's north? Now what people have done is they said, forget compasses. I will define my own north. Now, I, I just need you to understand. Can you see how things go wrong in traffic when everyone's using a different compass? Can you see how things go wrong in political seasons when, when, when one group is on, it has, has like one, it's not just polarization, it's, it's way beyond that. It's a lot of self-invented compasses that are competing with other self-invented compasses with a group of people that are all saying, how dare you judge my compass? I'm not, you know, mine, because this is, my, I've defined my truth. I'm making my way. And we'll even say words like, you need to create yourself. And yet I need you to understand something. There's something far better than you creating yourself. You have been created in the image of a God who adores you. You don't need to create yourself. You've already been created. You don't need to recreate yourself. Jesus renews us day by day if we'll let him. Now, this is why it's, it's very important because like, I'm going to make statements today like, I'm just going to let you know, I believe that the Bible, so let me say it like this. The Bible is, according to Jesus, the, the word of God. Now, be, because this is a big deal, like I, I'm going to use a word like infallible. Like, I'm going to let you know that I, I think a lot about this. I read a lot about the Bible. The hardest part of Christianity for me to swallow was the doctrine of the Bible. I was like, oh, my first semester of being at the University of Florida the classes I'm taking on religion were all about, well, check out this contradiction and look at this contradiction. Every class I would take was about the things I would read. I'm going to let you know, having read, and I'd be happy to have conversations with whoever wants to at any time, but um, what I want you, I'm just going to let you know, I have thought through all of that. I'm letting you know it is my, I have come to the conclusion that there is a, there is a reality which is such good news that God, he knows that we're feeble humans. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we're fallible, and despite our weakness, and despite our fallibility, he has preserved an infallible word for us. Now, this matters so much. The, the reason it matters so much is because in, in many times, like, like, 
tradition is a good thing, but it's fallible. This was the big, this was the part of the Protestant Reformation. I'm just doing total backdrop right now, but this was the, the Protestant Reformation stuff where you had scripture plus the Pope. And you had scripture plus the pontiff. And in fact, the pontiff would be over that. And I'm not trying to push off on Catholics or anything like that. But I am trying to make it clear that the idea was, well, here's the Bible. And here's the Pope. And the Pope gets to say what it means. And then the Protestant Reformation was like, no, popes are people. And they are fallible. And they can miss it. The Bible is infallible, which means the Bible has to go over what any man says. Which is why, listen to my sermons. But I got to tell you, my sermons are under God's word. My sermons are fallible. God's word is infallible. YouTube clips are great, but they're fallible. Okay, social media could be, might be, you know, helpful and edifying, but it's fallible. But the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. See, the reason we struggle with the Bible is because we struggle with authority. I, I, I had a dream last night. I, I hear people say, I had a dream. Your dreams are fallible. The word of God is infallible. When you have your dreams, you must run your dreams through the Bible, not the other way around. Man, someone came up and they told me this. It felt like a sign. Run your signs through. You need a north star. You need a compass. You need something on which... You can count where we're all going by the same compass, the true north, the true compass. Guys, what I'm, what I'm really calling us to do today is this. I want us to treat the Bible the way Jesus treats the Bible. Because I'm, I'm appealing to you that most of you that I talk to will say, I really respect Jesus. To which I'm going to say, if you really respect Jesus, then I dare you to listen to what Jesus said about the Bible. Now, before I move on, I, I do want to give a disclaimer because I, I'm making the point here that we struggle with the Bible because we struggle with authority. The, the second thought I want to say is that Jesus says the Bible has authority. Can everyone say authority? Jesus dice que la Biblia tiene autoridad. The Bible has authority. Now, before I even talk anymore, I want to make this very clear. I recognize we live in a world of massive abuses of authority. Spiritual leaders have abused authority. And political leaders have abused authority. And parents have abused authority. And law enforcement has abused authority. And, and all sorts of leaders have abused authority. And I, I, wanna, I just want to let you know, I am aware, and it makes me furious many times, when you watch someone with authority misusing authority, and, and, it's, and it's evil and it's wicked. And I just want to let you know, I totally get it. When we use a word like authority, many of us have landed on the spot of, there's been so much misuse of authority forget authority altogether like no one can try and what I want you to know is humans are very fallible and they misuse things but the fact that authority has been misused is not reason to throw authority off especially when it comes to God himself because what you actually need is not to leave authority but to get up under the right authority Mike are you saying submit to you no I'm saying submit to him I could lead you astray and when I do peace out on Mike Pats and you go with Jesus Christ okay when someone leads you astray, when one of your friends is like, man, that's my, that's my homie. She's been with me forever. He's been with me forever. When they lead you somewhere else, be like the early church that says, do I obey God or do I obey peer pressure? Do I obey God or do I obey my political party? Do I obey God or do I you know, obey what Fox News, CSNBC, Elon Musk, whatever they say says, MSNBC, sorry. Jesus says that the Bible has authority. Jesus says the Bible has authority. And the reason this matters so much is you will always experience the benefits of whatever authorities you live under. When you live under the authority 
of you eat whatever you feel like eating, you get really unhealthy. Now, you enjoy the benefits. Like, I like sugar. And I like, like you know, it'll be weird. You'll, at like 10 o'clock at night, you're like, man, I'm really feeling an ice cream bar right now, right? You don't have to obey. You're like, there's parts of us like, man, well, I felt it on the inside. And, and if your highest virtue is, you just got to be true to you. Well, man, being true to me sometimes means like lots of haagen at midnight. That's what it would mean. But, but when you, you always live out the realities of whatever authorities you submit to. So if you submit to the authority that feels good, do it, you will encounter the benefits of that. Likewise, and here's the great promise, when you live under the authority of the kingdom of God, you begin to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God. So, so Jesus says that the Bible has authority. So I was reading a book recently, and, I, and we're, we're looking at this in, in verse 17 when it says, don't think I've come, I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Verse 17. Now the law and the prophets, that was the Old Testament, that was the Old Covenant, that was the Jewish before Jesus way of saying the Bible. The law and the prophets, they would use that phrase. That's when, like when you and me say, the Bible says, Jesus would say, the law and the prophets say, you can use the word scripture, you could say this is before the New Testament, which is the, the last 27 books of the Bible were written. This is before Jesus says that the Bible has authority. Now, I was reading a book recently called Veritas. And interesting, fascinating book this book was. Veritas, it is a book. Uh, I, I'm, it's, it's not a Christian book, but it's, it's a book that was written by a, an investigative reporter because a professor from Harvard got a hold of a manuscript, an ancient manuscript that they dated, and sure enough, it dated back many centuries, where there was proof, they had the proof, that Jesus was actually not single, didn't just like rise from the dead and ascend into heaven like the Bible says, but, um, but that he actually married Mary Magdalene. And, and they got married, and, and he had words in there that were really, especially the, the professor at Harvard who was writing this, really wanted, has a has an itch inside because there, ha- there has been toxic patriarchy. There has been toxic misuse of the Bible by men in history to, to abuse, to suppress women, to do all kinds of other things like this. And so there, there really was this desire of like, wait a minute, is if we could find a scripture that proves that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, would that not elevate women and whatnot? And so anyway, this, so this was maybe a dozen years after the Da Vinci Code came out, but it gets a hold of this this manuscript where there's some evidence in there that Jesus married Mary Magdalene, that he wasn't single, that he was actually married. To which a lot of Christians were like, no, this can't be, you know, because whatever, to which her point was, you guys are victims of confirmation bias. You want so bad to believe that the Bible is true that you will not listen to evidence to the contrary. It's called confirmation bias. And so this, this goes on for a little, and you're reading the book and you're like, whoa, like what's, you know, now obviously, any of us that have been changed with the Bible and things like that, we're like, oh, you know, I'm not sure what you think. We're not going to really be swayed by one manuscript. Like, you know, it was one piece of text about the size of an index card, a manuscript that's... Anyway, this goes on for a while. Well, this investigative journalist finds out about this. The short version of the whole deal is he gets to the... You get to the end of the story, and it turns out that the whole thing was a fraud, that there was a guy that had been, that had been abused by... The, the, the church, you know, as a, an altar boy years ago and whatever, and t- takes a manuscript and he gets some charcoal and he and does the stuff to where you carbon date it and it still comes out in the same kind of way. And the whole thing comes out to be a sham. But it's a Harvard, lead of a department of Harvard, 
Harvard itself who published this stuff, and yet there was a string, what you found in, this, in the book was there was a string of evidence the entire time that this was false. I mean, like the earliest people that looked out of five scholars that looked four were like, uh, this is a no-brainer, this thing's a fake, you know? Um, it was basically like a copy of a copy. Imagine someone like doing uh, textual errors or, or grammar errors that are only, people only do, you know, a thousand years later, and that's what, stuff like that. And it gets to the end of it, and, and the the book was actually about confirmation bias because the book was actually about, hey, Christians are not the only people that struggle. When you want to believe something, you will look for evidence to confirm what you believe so badly. You, but it's not just Christians and religious people that do it. It's, it's humans that do that. We humans are very prone to, to do things like that. But what was at stake was not the place, because that's what someone said, well, what's at stake is the place of women. Let me tell you all you women something, okay? Women since the beginning of the of the Christian era have been elevated by the word of God, have been elevated. The promise of God was in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. The first preachers of the resurrection were women. The ones that Jesus entrusted the message of the resurrection was to women. Women began to get used. There were female, the evidence is there were female apostles that were doing work all throughout. The, right now in the underground church all over the world, women are taking, well, here's what I want you to know. You don't need a fake document, ladies, to tell you that you can do whatever God tells you to do. You just need the word of God. The word of God tells you that. It's way better than that. See, G, what Jesus says is that the Bible has authority. When Jesus says, don't think that I've come to, the, the, the law and the prophets are not abolished. I didn't come to, to abolish them, but fulfill them. Jesus is saying that the Bible has authority. Now, in Amos chapter 8, it says that there's coming a day when there will not be a feast of food and bread. But in Amos 8, it says there will be a feast for the word of God. And people are going to go to and fro. They're going to go from sea to sea trying to get a word. And guys, that's where we are right now. I read an article this week over in Norway. People are becoming less and less Christian, and they're, they're close to the Bible. But they really believe in, like, ghosts and goblins and spirits and haunted houses. And, like, there's something in because they, they're like, oh, I think I heard a spirit talking to me. There's this craving that we have for someone to speak to us. We're like, is there somebody out there? And we've, is it aliens? Is it fish? Is it birds? Is it my dreams? What I want you to know is that God not just spoke, God is speaking to you today. Oh, it's such good news. There's nothing like reading the Bible and you're like, Jesus, you didn't. It wasn't just Jesus said it. It's Jesus is saying it. And Jesus says, the Bible has authority. In verse 18, he says, I'm telling, truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke, not a jot, not a tittle, like a little comma, not, not even the smallest mark of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The Bible is true. Now, the, the reason this is an issue is because this next verse says, therefore, here's the, everyone say therefore, and whenever you read the word therefore in the Bible, it is there for a reason, literally. Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these, and this is the trouble, commands. TikTok just asks you for a like. Twitter's just asking you for, you know, a like or a retweet. Your friends, even if you don't believe it, they're just asking for some virtue signaling. Will you share my post and act like you care about what I care about? But the king demands obedience. And this is where Jesus 
is offensive. Because if the Bible has authority, then when we read the Great Commission, it says, therefore go into all the world and make apprentices or followers or students or disciples of Jesus and teach him how to obey what I said. Now, no one has a problem with the words when he said, love your neighbor, until you start defining what loving your neighbor means. For example, love your neighbor. But Jesus said it's loving sometimes to keep your mouth shut, and sometimes it's loving to open your mouth. No no one argues with love as long as we get to define what love is, but when he defines love on his terms, for example, sleeping with only people that you're married to. I'm just letting you know, I totally get it. Like, I get what a wild thought that sounds like because I'm not, we are now in the age where it's like, no, I make my own truth. And, and current American truth is sexual immorality is defined by if something's not consensual. But as long as it's consensual, then it's okay. That's what current thinking is. And, there, I mean, and there's going to be several weeks we're going to talk about sexuality. And I just want you to know, man, I, it is such a struggle for me. What a struggle. Because I certainly know people that are consensually with people that they're not married to, and they're way nicer and kinder and better and gooder, as my kids might say, than a lot of Christians I know. <laughs> a lot of religious people I know, I'm like, uh, you don't sleep with anyone you're not married to, but you're so smug and dull and lifeless, I don't want to be anything like you. <laughs> and then you meet someone that's got a harem, and you're like, man, you guys are awesome, you know, and you're wonderful. <laughs> and you're just like a big commune of, you know... Hippies in the 21st century or whatever, you know? <laughs> living in, <laughs> living in your, your thing. It, it's interesting. The word heresy, <laughs> I just got to go quick here. <laughs> we use the word heresy. The word heresy, it's the opposite of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is that which is right and true, which is why we, but we use words like my truth. Interesting, the word heresy comes from the Greek word hieresis, hieresis, which means to choose for yourself. Heresy is technically not simply I'm doing something. Heresy is it's it stems from choosing for yourself. I will choose for myself. I'm the ultimate determiner. And yet if the Bible has authority, this is where it's hard because it means we have to submit. We have to surrender. And what I want you to know, here's the great news. Surrender is difficult, but surrender is the soil in which God plants the seeds of his kingdom. And it does not come easily and it does not come quickly. But when you surrender your money, when you surrender your, your anger, when you surrender your, the, way, the way you treat enemies, when you surrender your sexuality, when you surrender whatever that is that you need to when you our surrender becomes the soil that God plants his seeds of his kingdom, which sprouts all kinds of wonderfulness, is the word I'm just going to make up right now. But, but the, let, me, let me tell you why this... This has so much, this matters so much. The world we're living in right now, even in church circles, like just, just take, take, take multiple issues that are kind of hot buttons of our day at this moment right now. When, if you want to talk about the poor, for example, like, like go in church circles. Some churches, they, they will talk about poor and others, they won't talk much about the poor. And like, is there any kind of a, is there any sort of requirement from the Lord on the poor? Well, the Bible actually just says a truckload about treating the poor. It just does. So 
Now, this is very hard because if, if you run all of your money through capitalism, and listen, I'm not against capitalism. There's no perfect system on this earth. I'm not anti-capitalist. I'm saying if you run all your money through capitalism without going through the Bible, you are going to have some warped parts of you because every point of capitalism doesn't, isn't going to remember something like, wait, do you remember the poor on all of your decisions? Have you remembered that you got to cut off the corners of what you make and what you do to remember those that don't have? have so some, some churches and politics are, are really, and then you got others that like, let's talk, let's talk sexuality. You got some that are into like, hey, there's got to be good sexual ethics. Well, the Bible actually says if you sleep with somebody that you're not married to, you are committing, def- you are defrauding them. They may, you, they may even say that they know what they're doing, it, but the Bible compares it to, to someone that doesn't even know what they're doing. You are stealing something from them. Even if they say they're doing it, that, that's the word that the Bible, now again, you might not agree with that because we've made our own way. That's what the Bible says. What the Bible says is that, so when it comes to sexual ethics, you got some groups or people that are like, we're going to, churches, politics, they'll stand for this. Typically speaking, a lot of the groups that will do this, they, they, don't, they won't do that. Or you'll come over here and you'll take something like uh, racial justice. You've got some churches, some politics, they'll address the issues of racial justice and say, we got to go there and acknowledge that there's been systemic inequities and problems and whatever. And you've got groups that are like, wait, we're going to do something about this because the Bible, that's what the Bible says. The Bible talks about, you know, things like equality and the Bible talks about prejudice and the Bible talk. And you got some people like, well, that just sounds to Mike, are you preaching politics? No, literally we could go through the Bible on this. And then, but a lot of times the groups that do this, they might talk about the poor or that, but they, but then you talk about over here, like talk about justice for the unborn. And you got unborn children that are in a womb and, and they're in there and they're not yet born. And so, and yet the scripture speaks about that as well. And it's like, Hey, that unborn child, it's made in the image of God. It is a human. And what you find is that it almost feels like in the world we're in right now, at least you, you, it's hard to find a church or a politician or a political party. They, they almost are going to do one, but they're not going to touch the other. Or if they do one of them, they're like, they're going to go hard. They're going to shout this one, whisper this one over here because no one. And yet the Bible says, if you follow me, you got to do all of it. You got to do it all. If you love what the Bible says about racial justice, but you don't love what the Bible says about abortion, it's because you've been more influenced by the culture than by the Bible. If you love what the Bible says about sexuality, but you don't love what the Bible says about the poor and our responsibilities to the poor, then it's because you've been more influenced by your culture than you have by the Bible. This is why it's like, man, you know, Jesus says you need a compass because if you're counting on your political parties to do it, you don't need to obey the Bible to get elected. You only have to make half the people angry enough. That's all you got to do, which is why Jesus said the Bible has authority. So here's the application today. If you're going to navigate this world, I want you to give the Bible the place of authority in your life. Now, you might not know what that means. You might be like, I don't even know what's in that book. It seems like a big book. It is. It is a big book. What it does mean is whatever situation of life you're going through, you're going to go ahead and say, I'm going to run it through the Bible. Maybe there's an, an aspiring artist in here. How do you do art how God wants you to do art? Maybe you're an aspiring actress. How, what parts do you take? Maybe you're about to think about taking a job. How do you choose what job you take? Everyone's like, well, just whatever one you make more money on. Really? But when you, when you start remembering what the Bible says, and you're like, wait a minute, remember the poor, live for the glory of God, go make disciples, you start to run the jobs that you take. How do you parent your kids? 
run it through the Bible. How do you, how do you deal with, uh, you've got a business and someone's not paying you. How do you deal with someone who is stiffing you and not paying? How do you sue someone to the glory of God? How do you handle things? What if they're a believer? What if they're not a believer? What if they claim to be a believer? How, how, all these different, how do you be a doctor to the glory of God? How are you a student to the glory of God? How about an athlete? How do you do athletics to the glory of God when you just you know, made a touchdown, scored a basket, hit a home run? Like, how do you get, like, get up in someone's in your face? How can you do that to the glory of God? There's, please tell me there is a way. <laughs> because last night I, I uh, talked to red people from Utah. And I was like, yes! Have a good trip back to Utah. I hope you enjoyed your time. I bless you. I hope it's possible. By the way, when Jesus was tempted, he used the Bible. When Jesus was being whipped and he was suffering and he was on a cross, when you're in your deepest pain, he used the Bible. He, what came out of, you, you, you afflicted him, out came the Bible. You tempted him, out came the Bible. What I'm telling you is this compass is how you get through parenting. This compass is how you get through the difficulties of life. This, and, and I get it. It's like, they're, they're, I am full of heresies and so are you because all of us want to choose our own way. But, but what's the message? The Bible is God's gift of navigation for anybody humble enough to acknowledge we need directions. This is God's gift of navigation for anyone humble enough. And you cannot navigate without a compass. And sometimes you did it for a little while and it feels like everything is good. But one day there's a storm that is coming and trust me, the only compass that's going to get you there is this truth with this God from this kingdom because he has a kingdom and kingdoms are ruled by kings. And you, I, I'm not a king and you're not a queen. You're not a king, but we are under a king. And I get it. In the United States, we hire represent. Jesus is not your senator. Jesus is not your house. of He's not a representative. Jesus is not of the Supreme Court. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the commander-in-chief. Jesus is all of it. That's why he said, I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Everything in this book is ultimately pointing to the king. Look at the king. Check out the king. Listen to the king. When the father did speak, he said, this is my son. Listen to him. How do you do marriage right? Listen to him. Husbands, you and your wife are fighting. The Bible says God's not answering your prayers until you make it up with your wife. That's what it says. You mistreat your wife, God's going to not listen to your prayers. That's the Bible. Good parent, that's, good, that's good parenting of, of husbands and wives right there. Run it through the Bible. To navigate this world, you got to go build it on the rock. But, but I do end it right there because ultimately the Bible is, is not just to be obeyed. It's to be a way of discovering Jesus I sometimes hear people say, well, the, the, the pushback on the Bible has been, well, humans are the ones that invented the Bible. Friends, to the contrary. It was in the third century that you saw, you, you see third and fourth century, the Bible's really being codified and canonized, as you want to say it like that. But those church leaders no more created the Bible than Newton crea you know, created or defined laws of gravity or laws of science. He did not create them. He discovered them. When they brought the Bible together, they did not create the Bible. They were discovering what what was already there, the truth of God's word that he had 
kept infallible. Jesus himself acknowledged a canon that was from God. Jesus himself acknowledged God has preserved the Bible. All I'm saying is treat the Bible like Jesus treats the Bible, and it's going to change your life. Let me end it like this. Charles Spurgeon was in London, and he was, he was talking to some worker that was there. And, and he just walked up to engage in this conversation with him. He says to the man, he said, do you have a good hope that if you die, God will accept you? If you die, do you know where you would go? That's sort of an old school question, but it was the old school. It was 1800s London. The man said, I do. I'm as good as most folks I know. To which Spurgeon said, well, well sir, I'm, I'm very scared then. I'm, I'm very scared. Is that the best you can do? Because the Bible says there is none righteous, not even one. So even if you're as good as the people you know, no one's righteous. He said, well, well I'm also very charitable to the needy. To which he said, but, but you've sinned, haven't you? He said, yes, many times. Well, well the book says that the wages of sin is death. What do you have to rely on that will give you hope that you can be forgiven? He, he said, well, well I, I'm very sorry for my sins. I've stopped many of them. He said, well, suppose you go into debt with your grocer. And you can't walk up to your owner of the grocery store and say, now, look, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I can't pay for all these, these goods that I owe you. But I'll tell you what, I'm sorry for the debt. I promise I'll never get into any more debt would that business person accept that? Well, of course they would not. Well, if, if they would not accept that, do you suppose that you can treat the great God of the universe in a way that you would never even treat a business owner? To which they said, well, well then what can I do? Then, Spurgeon said, they were ready for me to tell them from the truth that there is a God who has a law that's been fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. That Jesus was the sacrifice that paid for our sins on the cross. And that whoever trusts in him, that his blood was enough to cover our sins, and give us a pardon, that he took our place, that he took our place of death and the death penalty so we could have his place in the family of God. He is the only begotten son of God. We become the sons and daughters of God when we believe in him. And I told him that from the, the scriptures, that when we trust in him, that it is not your goodness, it is not your charity, it is not your being sorry, it was the work of Jesus that can save you.